Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket, a podcast brought to you by Log Rocket. Log Rocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at logrocket.com today. I'm your host, Paul, and join with me is Dominic Elm and Sylvia Vargas from the Stack Blitz team. They're joining us to talk about Stack Blitz. We're going to be digging into the web container APIs. I mean, what even are web containers? And who better to talk about it than the pair that we have fortunate enough to join us? Sylvia is working as an engineer in developer relations over at StackBlitz, and Dominic is one of the founding engineers on the team. So welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you both. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi. For anybody who's not familiar, maybe Sylvia, could you lead us into talking about what StackBlitz is? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Stagnates is a startup that offers you tools that enable running Node.js apps inside the browser. And this is not a marketing speak. It actually allows you to run the apps, Node.js apps, inside your own browser. There's no cloud involved or no magic. I mean, there is some degree of magic, (laughs) but it's our own magic. Why would I want that? Like, why is that so cool? Currently, StackBlitz offers four different ways to to make your life easier. So we have a classic editor, which allows you to make quick demos and embed small projects inside your documentation, for example. Or if you want to create a fancy bag reproduction, that would be also your go-to uh, tool. Then we also have StackBlitz Codeflow, which streamlines contributing and also reviewing PRs and issues in your repositories, but also for your daily work. So imagine that, for example, you are getting a PR from someone or a bug report, and instead of having to stash your work and then clone the repo or pull the changes, you can actually just click on a link and open the, the whole environment inside your browser. It takes seconds and then it's a disposable environment so you can just close it and then change another see another pr then we also have web container api which we will talk about more that allows you to build your own tools so your own ids your own repos and even more fancy stuff so we'll talk about that later And finally, we also have a tool that is called Web Publisher. This is a tool that helps you edit documentation in a very like low-key way. So if you have, I don't know, let's say a marketing colleague who is not a very technical person, for example, now they don't have to rely on developers to introduce edits. They can just use the Web Publisher and see how the edits are visible on the page immediately. That's a lot of things. It sounds like the paramount use case here is like we have a cohesive development environment within the web browser. Was that sort of the original intent you wanted to make a development environment in the web? Was that sort of the initial inspiration? I I think so. I'm a founding engineer, but I joined after the company has been bootstrapped already. And it's been founded by Eric Simons and Albert Pai. They're the founders of StackBlitz, and I joined in, in 2019, but even before that, StackBlitz already existed, and it wasn't using web container, the technology. That's when I joined and looked into ways of running like really a full Node.js environment in inside the browser and not on servers. But the idea of running everything inside the browser was already there. 
even before 2019. So yeah, the initial idea of Stackbits, I think, was always to have a convenient way to spin up like development environments inside the browser without relying on any cloud compute. And so that, that's been always the case for Stackbits. And so Web Container just changes this and makes it even more powerful to and allows you to run like really full-fledged Node.js applications inside your browser, which wasn't possible before we, kind of, we started working on Web Container. Could you inform me about why this is so paramount for the StackBlitz development? And as a follow-up, I view it as something complex. Is StackBlitz and this new Web Container API and the features that we're going to get into something that's more attuned for like the advanced teams that are using it? Or is it something really for everybody? what we're about to talk about. I will start with the follow-up. <laughs> it's so web containers, to use web containers or to use Stackbase, this is, you don't have to be an advanced developer. You don't even have to be a developer. That's the whole point. That this technology allows people who have even very little experience with web development to enjoy it to the fullest. Actually, Stackbase was started, as Dom said, by Albert and Eric, who previously were running a company which was about teaching web development to folks. And so now, if you ever taught a beginner how to program, you must probably spend some time setting up the environment and explaining all the bugs. And so imagine now you don't have to do that because the whole environment is set up inside the browser. They literally don't have to put any effort into downloading VS Code, for example, or, I don't know, setting up all the terminal stuff, right? And definitely to enjoy this technology, you don't have to be an advanced user. If you want to build something with the technology, yes, you would need to know how web development works. But there are already solutions built for total beginners, which is, for example, the new SvelteKit tutorial uses web containers. And so this is a tutorial that is running inside the browser so that total beginners can just learn full stack development without having to do any setup. And your first question was about what's up with the web uh, containers, what makes it so special? Oftentimes when people are thinking about running Node.js applications inside the browser, they are either thinking about the cloud solutions that are enabling that or about, oh, just compile it to WebAssembly and just make it run. However, it's not so simple. There's actually a lot of innovation that went into, and a lot of hacking that went into the development of web containers. So it's not as simple as, for example, just translating Node.js source into source code into WebAssembly, because Node.js as a um, technology wasn't created to be running inside the browser. It knows of different features and different APIs that are not available inside the browser. For example, a file system. Oftentimes when we are talking about web containers, we are saying that an, let's say, an approximate working mental model would be of a micro operating system. And it is a correct mental model to some degree. Because you do have the file system, you have... Like a whole operating system, but... I wouldn't say whole, because there are also some things that we didn't implement yet. <laughs> but yes. Yes, okay. but you could say that an approximation would be like some operating system. And so in this kind of analogy, you could think about that on every refresh of a website, you would get a fresh operating system 
operating system that's confined to your browser. And as such, you can install any Node.js-based CLI. You can run any Node.js app or execute shell commands inside the web container. And so all of that required a lot of hacking and a lot of innovation in order to actually be able to run because browsers as environments, they were created to be very secure and very isolated. So they don't have the knowledge of many of those things that I just mentioned. I mean, it's a central part of our kernel. Like the file system is essentially the heart of it, if you will. And in particular for the file system, we've actually went through multiple iterations and the file system has been one of one of the biggest challenges, I, w- I would say. And there was a lot of like learnings al- along the way. So I think in total, we went through three iterations until we arrived at a file system that works reliably and is also extremely performant. There was also many other things. I joined StackBiz only one year and a half ago, but in conversations with my colleagues, for example, with Dom, I learned about all those joys and terrors of innovation. So for example, Dom is now just mentioning so casually the fact that they went through three iterations of the file system, implementing file system. But actually, if you think about it, every single component of web containers went through similar route, right? So if you're building something that is outside of the box, oftentimes you have to just be really comfortable with letting go of your ideas and trying a different route and seeing how something you spent numerous hours on is no longer in place. If you think about it, about all the engineering work that went into developing web containers. We are talking about implementing event loop, implementing ES modules to be spec compliant. We are talking about creating some kind of way to manage packages. We actually, we have our own package manager called Turbo, which actually will be sunsetting now because again, that's the life cycle of innovation. We have a better solution now. A lot of work went into uh, this innovation. When you're innovating and iterating on these ideas, and you're talking about implementing ES modules, these are ground zero level things that you need to double click on and really get into. Is there something that when you visited the basics and you read the docs, the TS deep dive, Git book perhaps, when you get back in there, that you felt like the team became really empowered with some new knowledge that maybe you went and created like an internal package manager. Sometimes you get these inspirations when you're going back to the base and you're just like, wow, I didn't know I could plug in like that. Did you have any of those moments when you were going through the file system and all the things we just talked about? From an engineering point of view, absolutely yes. I think I had probably, I don't know, exaggerating, but millions of these moments. In the beginning, I actually didn't know much about Node.js at all. Like I was very new to Node.js, at least to to the level that I'm working on it now, which is the internals of Node.js. And before working on Web Container, I have never used Chatteray buffers before. I wasn't new to multi-threading and concurrent programming, but still... I've never used these web APIs before. And I also was somewhat new to the Node.js internals and various other browser or web APIs. And so it was a really fun learning experience. And there's been a lot of challenges where, yeah, where we constantly push the browser environment to its limits. This is something that I find really fascinating. 
web containers being at the forefront of browser limitations also oftentimes test what browsers are capable of doing or what those new features are enabling us to implement. And because of that, we are like bug detectives and there is a whole plethora of bugs that were either detected by Stackbit or even our engineers helped fix them. Dom, do you want to speak more to that? Yes, I think there's a handful. Just because web containers is really on the cutting edge, we're really pushing the limits of what browsers can do. And I think a lot of the APIs, maybe they intended that those APIs could be used for these use cases, but we're really pushing what's possible. And I think one of the one of the more recent issues we ran into, which was a pretty big showstopper for web containers in general and the adoption was an issue specifically with Apple Silicon, for instance. Like there was a very like specific low-level gnarly issue in the machine code that is that browser engines such as like V8 or SpiderMonkey generate for a given WebAssembly module. So with WebAssembly, the browser engines, they always compile the WebAssembly module to machine code. And it turned out that on Apple Silicon, which uses ARM64, which is an architecture, that the architecture basically didn't support like native atomic instructions for... I mean, this becomes very specific and like technical, but what I'm getting at is like these sorts of issues is very interesting. We didn't fix this issue. The bottom line is that we ran into like pretty big performance issues on MacBooks that were running on Apple Silicon, which as a result, for instance, like the editor was really slow running like build tools from... For instance, if you try to open up the Vite or Vtest repository in CodeFlow, it was really slow. If you try to run like the dev build, it took two minutes on an M1, for instance, whereas on a Windows computer, it took 10 seconds. Like there, there was a huge gap in performance. And that all came down to basically the machine code that was generated for Apple Silicon. Machine code. Yeah, it's like really low level. It's not that we fixed the issue ourselves. And at this point, I think I just want to give a huge shout out to the people that actually fixed the underlying issue, which is Pierre, who's an engineer on ARM and Ryan, who's working on Firefox and also Yuri. I think like incredible work. But yeah, that's this is like the stuff that we're oftentimes confronted with, like really, really gnarly issues. You're almost doing a public service helping find needles in a haystack for the community as a whole for these really nasty bugs. Machine code level bugs are like, how often do, does somebody go down the Mariana Trench, you know? I th- yeah, we only did that once the pull request was up. Like before then, we actually didn't even know that, like what the issue was. And so, yeah, but there's plenty of other things like another engineer, Roberto, who's working on the web container team was chasing like memory bugs through V8 and WebAssembly as well, where you couldn't instantiate, for instance, say a thousand WebAssembly modules. It would just crash and run into out of memory. And so Roberto was really digging deep into like V8 source code, trying to identify what the issue was. And 
it's pretty interesting things. Now, if you happen to be a little higher up on the stack as a developer and you're developing a web application, whether that be in Next or React or Angular, really anything, I'll just take a moment to remind our listeners that the podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. And LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your web application and ultimately your user experience with LogRocket. You can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion adoption, and spend more time building a better product. So if people are already attuned to like what a web container might be, or they're attuned to what like WebAssembly might be, what's the difference between the web container concept and the web container API? Yeah, so web container itself, not the singular, is the technology itself. So basically the let's say, the kernel, the operating system that allows you to run essentially Node.js fully inside your browser without relying on any remote service or the cloud. And you're asking, what's the difference to the Web Container API? The Web Container... So Web Containers is... We offer, you know, the UI as well on stackbits.com. So if you go to stackbits.com, you can open up like a new project. We have a bunch of starters. If you click on an Angular project, you get a like the editor. It all boots up in your browser. So basically, there's like an editor for CodeFlow. It's, it's VS Code running on top of Web Container. So that's basically just using the technology itself, like the runtime that allows you to run like Node.js in a browser. And so with the Web Container API, we're, it's like a headless thing to use Web Container, the technology, without really using like our editors. So I usually use the analogy of using SSH to, to connect from a client to some remote machine or some server. So there's something running somewhere, like a container, and you use like SSH to establish like a connection to that server. And then you the door is wide open. You can you have the terminal, you can run literally any shell command, for instance. You can spawn like a node process, but it's fully headless, which means there's really no UI. You have the full flexibility flexibility in building your own experience on top of the web container API. So it just exposes some like functionality. It gives you access to the file system. It allows you to run some processes from the outside. And then it basically just spins up a web container. And then you can, from the outside, interact with that container, but also build your own experience on top, which is actually pretty cool because there's been so many cool projects that we've seen in the community where people have built amazing experiences, like experiences that we cannot build ourselves just because we don't have the capacity to build all these cool, amazing projects on top of like Web Container itself. What's an example of something that blew you away when you saw somebody build? I think like for me is the Svelte Kit Playground. I think that's a, a pretty unique and novel experience. I think, Sylvia, if you want to take that. Yes. So so actually the whole Web Container API offering, we've been dreaming about it for a while, but the definite push to create it was that Rich Harris from the Svelte team reached out to us and he had this idea for 
a new interactive tutorial for SvelteKit. And please bear in mind that SvelteKit is a full stack application framework. And so Rich Harris had this idea that the user would be able to learn SvelteKit entirely inside the browser instead of having to clone anything and set up the environment. And yeah, we worked really fast to make it happen. And then Rich actually presented the new tutorial at the JSConf in Amsterdam last year. So the tutorial is entirely interactive. It's, it runs inside the browser. You don't need any kind of setup to learn SvelteKit now. So since then, we, we were working for half a year with a small number of community members to develop the API further and to make it ready for the public use. So we would write documentation iteratively based on questions. And also we would develop more features for the API based on the feedback from the community and from wishes, right? Their wishes. And so that's why also in our docs, if you look in our docs, so webcontainer.new, you can see that oftentimes there are like shout outs to different community members who share their solutions or their ideas. So all throughout the docs, there are sprinkles, small shout outs to different projects. And so really the Web Container API is our way to give back to the web community. It's just, you know, this is why it is and it will always be entirely free for the open source. But even for the commercial use, there's a very generous free tier. Our point is that you can go and really test it out and build something with web containers and see what kind of projects it unlocks for you. And so far, the results have been pretty amazing. There have been just pretty mind-blowing playgrounds built, for example, this felt kit, but also... Just like the other day, two developers, Antonio Sarcevitz and Paolo Ricciutti, have released Svelte Lab, which is a full like repo for Svelte, which also includes like Vim bindings and so forth. You can just explore it. Then there is Nate Moore from the Astro team created Clack, uh, so Clack.cc, which is a tool for building really beautiful CLIs. And the page also features a live play- playground. Then, of course, you have like our code flow we trans on that. But you also have like solutions that we didn't even think about. For example, there's this app called Nato App, which is a spatial live multiplayer JavaScript environment from Paul Shen, which also allows you to now run Node.js like in the app. And we also see more and more AI teams who are embracing Web Container API to just generate a full app. So you no longer really need to know how to code potentially to create an app of your wish. So one of such teams would be Retune and you could definitely watch them closely. So there is a bunch of innovation coming up and every now and then we just see that someone is using web containers to the end that we didn't even envision a year ago. So yeah, if you have some creative ideas and you're using web containers, please hit me up. I'm very happy to feature you on our blog and our website and just celebrate your work. Do you feel like with all these great applications coming out, we're even getting a full Svelte reenactment built using StackBlitz. Do you feel like you're going to be taking some mindshare from developers and instead of reaching automatically as is the case right now for Docker Compose 
you might be just going in the browser. Like everything is just there for you. And maybe we'll see, because Docker sometimes can be a barrier of entry for people to boot up like an open source project. I think Docker can be very painful. I have to be honest, I'm not using Docker very often. The way I work on web container is I just install everything on my local machine. I wish I could use a web container for it, but unfortunately we're not there yet. There's a th things that still need to happen in terms of like web APIs and some advancements to WebAssembly itself that will allow us to make the kernel even more powerful and allow us to run other languages, for instance, which is definitely something that we're planning at some point. For me, Docker has been very intimidating and painful and frustrating. I am not a very experienced engineer and my first attempts were, I don't know, just still, I still have nightmares about them. <laughs> so I would prefer if everything was just made simple. Browsers are now becoming so power powerful that, I mean, it's just really pleasant to be able to run your whole repository inside the browser. So now when, for example, we are developing something, let's say our blog or um, our some of our websites, we are actually using CodeFlow, which runs on web containers because it's just so pleasant to use. And another thing is that so the story for Docker on macOS isn't like particularly bad. Like, but that's one of the reasons why I guess I'm not using Docker that often just because it's like really slow. Yes, I totally agree. If people can like just hop into their web browser and boot up full stack open source applications for GitHub, that's going to be game changing. I feel like there's a huge barrier of entry or if like, if you know how GitHub works and you can clone something and install NPM install, you have access to a plethora of software that like most people don't. Yeah, I can tell you that, for example, the moment we added Web Publisher to our documentation, we started receiving so many typo corrections and so many contributions from people for whom that was the first contribution ever. And I know one of the contributors who now actually is doing open source in one of the popular frameworks because he started with this very low-key, very pleasant experience of editing out a typo and being thanked for and featured as a contributor. Yeah, definitely happy story. Another huge benefit of CodeFlow and WebContainer is for open source maintainers that they can just use it for reproductions. If you think about everything running inside the browser, like the browser has been years and many people working on these browser engines and there's been years of work that goes into making a browser like super secure, right? Like the browser is probably like the most secure sandboxed environment that you can get. Like it doesn't allow you, it. you don't have access to the file system. Sure, there's like file system APIs, you have to grant, grant access, but still by default, it's it, it tries to be very secure. And that's great for running, for instance, like web container inside the browser, because for reproductions, you have to trust, like if someone opens an issue and files an issue for your open source project, right? You have to debug the issue. And so maybe they send like a link to a GitHub repository. You have to trust whatever is in that repository. However, with CodeFlow, you just get a link, you click on it, 
it has absolutely no access to anything on your local file system. So it can't like steal, I don't know, SSH keys or it can't do various malicious bad things. So I think that's really great. Like for open source maintainers, having not having to think about the trust aspect and they can just click on a link when they're done, they just close the tab and everything is gone. Then that's great. It's almost like the developer's version of try it in a VM, like before you run it. Yeah. So in in the coming months and quarters in 2023, what is something that you're able to share with us now, either Sylvia or Dominic, that is not out? Because I know there's always things in the pipeline that you can't share. So what's something that you want to have people excited about? Well, I'm very excited about that today, actually, when we are recording this episode, we are announcing that web containers run on iOS and iPad OS. This is something that has been already working for like a few months, but now we are confident in that. So yeah, go ahead to our blog and read about the adventures that were involved in shipping this this feature. So this is definitely a milestone for us. Uh, we are also now improving the wor- user workflows around the authentication features, but more on that if you follow our account on Twitter, for example. <laughs> and what is your Twitter account? Yes, so for StackBits, it's StackBits, so just check that out. We are also planning to upgrade Node to Node 18 and then Node 20 this quarter, and we are sunsetting our package managers. So now we have unmodified native support for all package managers, including NPM, which is still behind a feature flag. So soon it's going to be out. And that means that uh, Stagvis has just gotten faster and more reliable. Sneak peek, those package managers are really, really, really fast. Really, really, really fast. Really, really, really fast. <laughs> Well, Sylvia, Dominic, thank you for taking your time today to come on and talk about web containers and your new web container API. Like you said, uh, we're hoping people listening, if they run it and they have suggestions, reach back out to the team. I'm sure they could do that on the Twitter, like you said. Yes, we have a, a Discord community, so you can find us there. But really, however is best for you, you can even send an email or a postcard <laughs> if you would like to <laughs> describing the bug that you run into. We just really love your ideas and feedback and just the wildest dreams and wishes. Just send them over. Ideally, if you want something fixed, the, fa- the fastest way is either the uh, GitHub bug report or a DM to me, I would say. Every way works for you. Just let's do that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us. This has been fun. Thank you.